0: Gloucester Vineyard Church weekly podcast. We're creating a community that brings hope and joy to Gloucester and we're thrilled that you've downloaded this episode. For this week's bonus episode we're joined by Claire from Home for Good who talks about the prospect of adopting or fostering children and how a church community can be supportive in this process so that children can feel welcomed into their new family. So without further ado here we go.
1: Marvelous. Okay, so we are very honored to be joined this morning by Claire from Home for Good. Can we give Claire a round of applause? We're allowed to do that. So, Claire, hello. Do you want to I tell us a bit about yourself, about where you live, about Home for Good? Tell us who you are.
2: Hi, everyone. Um, I feel ridiculously overdressed, but that's because I am so excited to have left my village. Um, I normally only wear these in December. So, you know, they're they're out and they're sparkly because I I was dressed up with somewhere to go today. Um, My name's Claire. I live near Bristol Airport, um, and it's really lovely to be with you this morning. My job role is to look after all of the work of Home for Good in the Southwest. So, broadly, that's from Cheltenham to Bournemouth to Land's End. Uh, And I work specifically in a couple of areas, and I'll probably tell you a bit more about that in a moment. And I'm a um, mum of three, one's away at university in Birmingham, one was longing to be climbing mountains this year in his gap year, having saved hard for it, but instead is working as a farmer and a labourer for a nearby, um, in a nearby village, and is off to Coventry in September. And uh, I have a 14-year-old daughter who is so relieved to be back at school. Never thought she'd be saying that, but actually learning at home is not much fun. And so being away, being able to go to school is just far better. I also have a an amazing husband who has spent the last two days building the greenhouse of his dreams, which he has bought with... Uh, savings and money given to him for his 50th birthday. So I haven't seen much of him for the last two days as he's been grappling with bits of aluminium and glass. Um, So that's that's us in a nutshell. I feel like I
1: I wish we'd invited your husband and I could interview him about that.
2: (laughs) No, he's fettling the greenhouse.
1: (laughs) Okay, maybe we'll have him next time. Um, But that's marvellous. So for anybody here who's not familiar with Home for Good as a charity, can you tell us about who is Home for Good, what do you do, who do you work with and what's your vision and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, okay. So we are a small charity with a big vision, and that vision is to find a home for good for every child who needs one. We're slightly unusual in that we don't say what the best kind of home is, because we know that for every child, there will be a different situation. So for some children, the best home can be through adoption. For some children, it can be through fostering, and sometimes there are family members who can kinship care children, and some children want to keep that link with their birth family, but um, need that permanency, and there's something called special guardianship that works really well in that situation. But we know that the church is ideally placed to step into this situation, and so we work with the church throughout the whole of the UK, we, we have got, um, we work in Scotland, in Ireland, and we're just beginning some work in Wales as well, which is really exciting uh, to inspire the church to step up because we think that from within the church in its biggest sense in the UK, we could be the answer to the need to find homes and keep children safe. So that's why I'm here today because I'm hoping that I can be part of the support and the inspiration for you to begin a fostering journey. And that isn't necessarily that each of you will become fostering foster carers, but that you can each be involved in supporting and encouraging those who do.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, so yeah, so this morning we're going to be talking about fostering and adoption, which I guess for some of us, we will have maybe thought about it in the past. Some of us might have had experience with that in the past. And for others, others of us, it might have been something that we've never, ever thought about. Um, but I thought it would be appropriate to invite Claire to come and speak to us today, because um, I know that a, a handful of families in our church have been thinking about foster caring and, and adoption. Um, but the thing that really kind of sparked my kind of, okay, we really need to make this happen. I was reading a, I read an article on the BBC um, back in September last year. Um, I just wanna read you a little excerpt from that if you can. Um, Heads up, this does come with a a wet weather warning, so brace yourselves for impact. Um, This is a story about George. Um, George was a three and a half year old when he came to live with the Atkinsons. The moment he arrived, the children excitedly steered him into the living room to watch TV while their parents, Tony and Elise, uh, talked to the social worker in the kitchen. But George didn't seem to know any of the programs that Nancy and Stanley were flicking through. There was spaghetti bolognese for tea, but when Tony and Elise showed George his plate and his knife and fork, he just stared at the floor. They pointed to tins of beans in the cupboard and frozen chips in the freezer in case he'd prefer something else, but George didn't seem to recognize any of it. We didn't know what to do, Tony said. We couldn't engage with him at all. After dinner, Tony and Elise uh, were at the sink doing the dishes when George suddenly moved from the spot where he'd been standing motionless for more than an hour. He ran to the fridge, took out a two liter container of milk, bit off the plastic top and then the foil and drank the whole milk down straight from the bottle. It just went all over him, but at least we knew that there had been milk where he'd lived, Tony says, although he doesn't seem to know about putting it in a cup. Later, when George seemed sleepy and Tony announced that it was bedtime, George fetched his coat and lay down underneath it on the living room floor. Tony gently ushered him upstairs to his new bedroom. It seemed unfamiliar with, He seemed unfamiliar with the concept of lying in a bed under a duvet, Tony says. George was only the second child that the Atkinsons had ever fostered. Before him, there had been a baby who, George says, didn't know how to be scared, but Um, George was altogether more complex. It was clear to Tony and Elise that he had been severely neglected by his birth parents before being taken away from them. George had obviously had a very, very difficult time, Tony says. When he first came to us, he was very pale, not a good color, gray, really. He had limited speech. He didn't know uh, that you sit at a table on a chair or what a spoon was for and had no idea what a bath was. I didn't think anyone had hurt him. They just didn't seem to know how to look after him. The next day, Tony took George to the local park. He noticed George was staring intently at something, and Tony realized that it was a tree. He took George over to the tree, and together they looked at it and patted it for a good 20 minutes. This is bark, and these are leaves, Tony explained to George. The kid had never seen a tree before, and certainly had never touched one. Tony and Elise wrote down their observations and sent the notes to George's social worker. It gives them a picture of what the child has lived through and basically confirms that he did need to be removed from his mum and dad, Tony said, because there's an awful lot of things that little kids should have been exposed to by the age of three and a half, and he just hadn't. So that story, when I read that, just, just got me big time. And um, I shared that with you, Claire, um, just to say I might, we, might, we might kind of read this out on Sunday morning. And what did you say in response?
2: Well, I followed the link to see what the story was that Daniel had sent me. And it's a really upsetting story. But when I realized which one it was, I had a huge grin on my face because I actually know that foster carer. Um, he's a home for good champion up in Liverpool. And that little boy's real name, well, his real nickname is Superkid, Kid, Super K. And the story goes on, I I suggest that you go and find it on the BBC News website if you haven't already. Because the story goes on that Super K was fostered by that family for really quite a long time. And one day the family came downstairs to find that he had taken a Sharpie and drawn himself into the family photos. And at that point they realized that he wanted to be part of their family. So they started the process to investigate whether they could adopt him. And Super K is now part of that family permanently. Sometimes people think that adoption is the end of the story and that once children have got that security, that everything's gonna be okay. And sometimes in churches, we're not very patient with children who've experienced trauma in their lives. And in fact, we're not very patient with the parents who do an amazing job of parenting children who are adopted because that early trauma in Super K's life is gonna be lifelong in its effect for him. And so he's been adopted and he's been with that family more than seven years now, but he still, until recently, would search out Christmas presents and birthday presents and unwrap them all, sometimes weeks in advance, because he couldn't quite trust that he would still be with them and that he would still be loved by them when it got to his birthday or Christmas. And so parenting him has to look very different to parenting their birth children, but The day I got Daniel's message saying that he wanted to tell this story, I had also seen a Facebook post from the adoptive family. And Phil had put that with two days to go until Super K's birthday, it's actually his birthday today, all the presents were still wrapped. And they were still in the hiding place because this year Super K trusted for the first time that when it got to his birthday, he would still be loved, he'd still be part of their family, and that the presents really would happen, and that he would have a birthday party. He's having a hot tub party with friends. And that's the good news story, that it's taken that many years for him to trust and believe but he has been so outrageously, wholeheartedly, unconditionally loved that he now is beginning to accept that he is loved. He still has loads of challenges. He would not be an easy child to have in church. He would not be an easy child to have in your classroom. He's probably not the easiest child to parents, but he's precious. He's, He's a dearly loved child of God and his parents think he's amazing. So uh, that story is heartrending. and it's normal for many children that come into care. Most children that come into care have experienced uh, neglect and loss and often abuse. And we can't make that go away, but we can do a great job of loving them until they begin to be- believe that they are lovable again.
1: That's brilliant, thank you. Um, and so I think, I mean, all of us as kind of human beings can resonate with that kind of, that sadness, that, that grieving of, of children who've, who've been through that, but why is this something that the church should care about? Why is this a kind of church priority? You know, why isn't this just something that everybody should do? Why specifically should churches wade in?
2: Gosh, where do I start? I don't see why we wouldn't be. You know, it's there in the Bible so often James 1.27 talks about religion that God our Father is interested in is that we care for the widow and the orphan. We don't talk about widows and orphans very often these days. But we all know that the most vulnerable in society need our care. It's the most vulnerable in society that we as people of faith should be interested in, those on the margins of society. In the Old Testament, um, there's a Hebrew word, yatom, that appears so many times. I think it's more than 50 times in the Old Testament. Don't quote me on that. I've probably got that number wrong. But it's God is bothered about the yatom, and the yatom was the fatherless child. And in that time, if you were a fatherless child, you were exceedingly uh, open to exploitation and harm. Because if you did not have a father in your life, there was no one to protect you. You wouldn't have access to worship. You wouldn't have necessarily access to food or protection. And God says, you've got to be interested in the yatam, in the fatherless child, because I am. I am bothered about them, and therefore you should be. And if you look in Deuteronomy, there's so many bits where people are told to leave the edge of the cropped because you've got to remember that you were once an outsider and you needed that love and protection. And therefore, we've got to make sure that we offer that love and protection to those who are on the outside as well. And then if you come to the New Testament, you know, we believe as Christians that we have been completely loved and completely accepted as children of God. And we know that, that we know what we're like inside. You know, even if we have our face for the outside world, we know what we think about. And yet we know that God still loves us. Therefore, we're going to offer that love to a child who needs it. So I would say, where can't we go to avoid it? It's just something that is so obviously something we should be involved in.
1: It's also part of our, our heritage as a church as well, isn't it? Of uh, there's stories of the just, you know, hundreds of years after Jesus was alive, there's stories of uh, little churches in cities who would go out. There was a quite a common Roman practice of if you had a baby that you didn't want for whatever reason, maybe it was disabled or the wrong gender or something, they would leave the children out to be exposed and to just die. It's horrible and barbaric and it was so offensive to the churches at the time. That they would go around the city walls and pick up these babies and raise them it was so this is part of our our heritage her heritage as well as a church so claire could you give us an idea like what's it like in the uk at the moment like how many kids are looking for a home what's it like in the southwest um give us some statistics so we can kind of get our head around the the, the size of the problem
2: well i had a look at my banner over there just as i sat down and it says about 35,000 children coming into care each year actually that banner's out of date there's going to be about 37, 37,000 children will come into care this year in the UK, and that's um, about 102 children a day. Or, well, you know, when we wrote the Home for Good book years ago, it was we said a child came into care every 20 minutes. The latest stats now that's one child comes into care every 14 minutes. So we know that this is an increasing problem. We know that there are more children coming into care and we anticipate that that's going to continue to rise because of some of the issues around COVID and austerity and families really struggling. We know that the majority of children who come into care will need fostering because we hope that whatever the crisis is that a family are dealing with will be short lived and with the right support that a child can go home. We know that it's a really big deal for a child to leave their birth family. And if that support can be put in so that whatever is going on in a birth family can be supported and a child can go home, that's always going to be the best option. Even if conditions in that birth family are not what we would necessarily think are the best, still, children want to grow up with their parents, they love their parents and their parents love them. It's just that often those parents themselves are really vulnerable people. And we know that a lot of children who come into care, their parents were also in care themselves. And so it's a cyclical generational thing that we need to somehow find a way to break. Of the children who end up not being fostered or being fostered and then a decision is made that it's not safe for them to go home, that actually the best option for them is adoption. We know that the average age for adoption is about three years old. And actually, if you're older than three, it's really unlikely that you're gonna be adopted because most people who look to adopt are adopting to fill a gap in their lives rather than wanting to offer a child a permanent home. And there's a subtle difference in that. Your whole attitude to adoption will be different, depending on whether you feel a lack of a child in your life, or whether you see a child who needs a loving permanent home. And so we see Christians really challenging that trend, because often Christians uh, approach adoption and fostering with a completely different mindset to, to those who are not doing from faith. I'm not saying that people without faith don't do it altruistically as well. They absolutely do. But social workers are having to get to grips with young Christian couples choosing adoption as their primary way of doing family, accepting that that might mean that they might never be able to have birth children. And that's a real challenge to the norms that social workers are used to, because usually they will tell people to go away and have their birth children first and then consider adoption. But actually, there are people who are saying, we know we might never be able to have birth children, but this is the choice that we're making because we know that children need homes. We're also seeing... Uh, People in shared houses looking to foster and adopt in in community houses. And that's a new concept as well for a lot of social workers. And we've seen that happen really well in Bristol. (sighs) There's so much I could tell you. And I'm just trying to make sure I choose the right things to share with you. Um, We know that some children wait longer than any others for adoption or fostering. I don't know who here has got a sibling, a brother or a sister. If you've got a brother or sister, put your hands up. It's usually the majority in a room. I know I'm an only, so I'm usually in the minority when I ask that. But if you are somebody who's got a brother or a sister, then it's really hard to find people who will foster you together. So often siblings get split up. And that's really tough because often... You've been each other's stability, and you've always known each other. Um, So people who would be willing to foster or adopt siblings are really, really special people. We also know that uh, black and minority ethnic children are disproportionately represented in the care system. And we don't quite know why, and we're doing some research at the moment to try and understand that. But we know that black boys, in particular, wait four times longer to be adopted than any other group of children in the UK. And we know that children who it's decided they should be adopted will often wait 18 months or more to be adopted. So that's not just this summer holidays that they know they're going to be waiting for a family, but the next summer holidays as well before they would find that adoptive family. And that's a really long time. Children with additional needs as well, they wait the longest. And so at Home for Good, we really care about them. And the biggest trend in care at the moment is children who are over 10. They're classed as older children, and most foster carers think that younger children are easier. Now, I don't know who in the room, I'm looking around, quite a lot of you have got young children. And I know that being a parent of teenagers is hard work but i know how exhausted i was when i was parenting under fives so all credit to you guys who are here this morning smiling with under fives but we need foster carers who will welcome and love older children and teenagers it's such a formative time and children who age out of care without a family wrapped around them have got really um Hard times ahead. We know that children who age out of care without a family are going to be making up the homeless population and the prison population. And we know that for girls, they're gonna be moving into the sex industry. And so we need to find people who can extend that welcome. People who've got experience of parenting to be able to welcome those older children and teenagers. And I say, that's the age group that are really worrying us. And if you speak to any local authority or any fostering or adoption agency at the moment, all you will hear from them is teenagers because that is the the major growth area. Yeah.
1: So we talk about being a community that wants to bring hope and joy to Gloucestershire. And I feel really compelled that this is a way that we as a church can step into this to step in uh, in some lives of children in our county who, uh, as Claire has just said, who, unless we step in, could be heading for a life on the streets or a life in the sex industry or a life in prison or something like that. Um, Now, I'm aware that Again, different people in this room are kind of, this is going to be hitting us in different places. Some of us have got knots in our stomach because potentially you might be feeling this might be for us. But for other people in the room, I'm aware that we might be thinking, well, I, I, I can't foster for A, B, C, D, E, F, G reasons, but I feel really, I feel like I really want to get behind this or something. Can you tell us about how we as a church can gather together to, to work as a team and as a family to, to foster and adopt some kids?
2: Okay, the first thing I need to say is when I started this job, my husband told me that I wasn't to go and guilt trip people because he knows that we as a family are not called to fostering and adoption. And he is really firm that I must not make people feel bad. So please hear that. I am not here to guilt trip people into fostering an adoption. You have to know that it is something you are being called to. However, the whole church are called to love, support, encourage those incredibly special people who are called to foster and adopt. And there are lots of ways that we can do that. Let me first of all talk about those of you who may be feeling you're being called. There's a few things, there's a few things that people think are the case and aren't. Number one, You don't have to be married. You don't have to um, have any special skills other than a heart willing to welcome and love a child. You do need a spare room. You do need the energy to play and have fun and emotional strength to deal with the knocks. But you can have pets, you can work. There are all sorts of things and there's no upper age limit. often people think there is so those that's about fostering adoption however us in church we can really support those who do we've got an amazing team of champions in Gloucestershire who run peer-to-peer support groups for people who foster and adopt and there are two groups that meet one for adopters and one for foster carers And so it may be that you're here today, and like me, you know you're not called to be a foster carer or an adopter, but you're passionate about this, and you could become a champion in your church. And you could make sure, you could hold Daniel to account, that this church does all it can to be a place of welcome for fostering and adopting families, and for children who are care-experienced. And there are ways that we at Home for Good can support you in that with training. And you can uh, make sure that it's high on your priority, that you're praying regularly for social workers. Um, Social workers are an amazing bunch. Do you know that the burnout time from qualification to thinking, I can't do this anymore for social workers is eight years? Because... Their caseloads are huge, and the emotional load is huge. And don't believe how social workers are painted in the press. They are such special people, and they work so hard. So if any of you know social workers, pray for them by name, and please be a church that prays for the social workers in Gloucestershire. Um, They are amazing. Lots of churches where there are fostering adoptive families, organize those meal trains that lots of churches do for families when they have newborns so that's a way you can support you know if you've got a fostering adoptive family in your church look after them through lasagnas and curries and cakes find out what they like don't be afraid to ask you know it may be that they really don't like tiramisu and you keep sending it to them you so ask them Ask them, how, you know, no, don't, don't pose it as a, a, a maybe. Say, I'm going to make your meal this week. Is there anything you don't like? And that way it's really hard for them to say, no, 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 it's fine. But bless them in that way. Pray for them. Offer to do things for them, but not necessarily for the child. Because foster carers and adopters need to work really hard to build that bond, we call it attachment, with the child in their care. And sometimes you will need to just step out from that. But you could walk their dog on family contact days. You could iron the kids' clothes for school for the week for them. You could cut their lawn or cut their hedge because that's going to be hard to prioritize that when you've got a child who needs lots of attention. So There are lots of ways that you can support that family, but it might not be through the child. And if you've got a child who comes to church with them, do say hello But be patient, because that child might blank you. And they might blank you because they don't know that they're going to see you again. They've had so much loss in their lives, so many broken relationships, that they're going to be guarding their heart. So you might smile and say hello, and they might blank you, and you might think, hmm, that's rude. But the next week, smile and say hello to them again. And smile and say hello to them again, because it's going to take a long time for them to begin to trust that you are still going to be there, and you're going to still bother to say hello to them each time. Read the Home for Good book to understand what it is to be a care-experienced child. There's loads of articles on our website about how you as a church can support those who want to step into fostering adoption. Some of you will get really close and become like adoptive aunties and uncles, and perhaps if it's fostering, you might do the DBS check and get approved by the local authority or the fostering agency so you can babysit and give the family, uh, the grown ups, an evening off every so often. But that won't be many. The majority of you will be doing that step away support. But, but hold them in your prayers and look after them because they will be exceedingly special people. And it'll only be one or two of you in a church. But it will change your church and be open for that. You know, will you be okay with children running circuits? Because they don't know how to behave in this kind of situation. And you're still going to have to smile and welcome them. And your children's program is going to be more interested in the relationship with the child or whether they know all the finer details of the story of Noah. Going to have to just adjust some of, the, some of the ways you think as a church. But go for it because it, it will be... Utterly transformational for you as a church if you welcome the vulnerable.
1: Great, thank you. So, um, so what do we think?
2: We've silenced everyone. Daniel. I know we yeah. have. <laughs>
1: This is an opportunity for us as a church, which is being laid at our feet, you know, we, we can't turn a blind eye to this, um, you know, the statistics are, are scarier and getting scarier and we as a church have so much love to give, you know, I, th- I look at everybody in this room and I know the wonderful loving families that we have here in the environments that we create uh, that are already so welcoming of children why not us? Why not us? Why wouldn't we stand up as a church and welcome some kids um, through fostering and adoption? Um, So, Brett, whereabouts are you? There you are. Um, Brett's going to lead us in a time of worship now. Um, And I'm aware that, again, for all of us here, this is going to be landing for us in different ways. Some of us are going to be feeling convicted that actually maybe we need to take Um, some steps towards looking into whether we as a family could be uh, fostering or adopting a kid. Um, If you're in that position, please will you come and speak to Claire afterwards, or if you don't want to do it today, there's a thumping great QR code behind me up there. Take... Uh, take that email address, take that QR code, get in touch with Home home for Good and ask them about the journey that you can start towards fostering and adoption. For some of us, it's just going to be some work in our own hearts about welcoming and inviting uh, and investing in some children who desperately need to witness the love of Jesus and the love of the church. Um, So for some of us, it's going to be just kind of making ourselves available and saying yes to that. Um, So there'll be an opportunity for that as well.
0: Okay, that's all for this week. I hope that it blessed you. If you have enjoyed this episode, then please do share it with a friend and consider subscribing to the podcast. Also, if you would like to know more about Home for Good, links to the website are in the description. And if you would like to join in with what we're doing here in Gloucester, then details are on our website, gloucesterfinyard.org.